Hello listeners and welcome to an episode of China. It's going to be a slightly different episode compared to normal. There's no guest, there's no Karen, it's just Hanik here. For better or worse. I, I, I would like to think better, but you may disagree. And, well, you know, tough luck. That's all I can say. Today we'll be talking about... Well, I say we, the royal we. I, I will be talking about A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth. And the reason we're going to talk about it is... It's... It's my favorite book, and in a first for China and trying to be relevant, it's coming out as a BBC series in a few days from now. It's the first adaptation of this wonderful book, and I, yeah, I would like to talk about it. Really, that's about it, and. I'll give my thoughts on the book. I guess a mini review. I won't spoil it, uh, even though it is old enough to be beyond spoiler territory. And afterwards, I will give you a timestamp somewhere in the show notes, and I will just be reading out the first few pages and sections of the book. With the hope and aim that you will also fall in love with it, find it, pick it up, and read it. And if you don't want to buy it, I can help you find it in the seven seas of the internet. So just get in touch. So the the main reason I really, really love this book is. It's so long. Like this book is ridiculously long. I think the initial version was thirteen hundred pages, if not more, and the edition I have is over fifteen hundred pages. Like you are carrying a serious amount of weight if you get the paper version, and it's. It never feels long. It you want to spend all your time in this book. You want to spend every moment with each character, with such good yeah, the descriptions, the the atmosphere that Vikram Seth creates is unbelievable. Because he's created this town, this fake city. And anyone who's been to India, lives in India, or has family from the area, or I guess even wants to travel, he transports you there. And it's it's captivating, and unlike something like Lord of the Rings, where there are descriptions of animals or foxes in particular, I, I get really annoyed by Lord of the Rings. Where these, where yeah, Tolkien uses such majestic words and so much effort and description to describe these animals in such depth, 
and Vision. And it's wonderful. But they then play no further part in the story. But Vikram's writing, every description, every action, at least in my perspective of it, provides so much extra depth to the story. It's not a, how would we call it? It's not fluperbus, you know, too much. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm trying to do this in one take, guys. And it's, it's beautiful. Like, it really captivates you. Um, you. You start and you think there's so much to go on and you turn each page by page. And yet, the book flies by. And that's a testament to the writing. So, what is a suitable boy about? It's... It's really quite simple. It's about... Lutta deciding the future of her life. And... Whether or not she should marry a suitable boy. Or should she follow her heart? And while this seems like such a cliche story, that is the that is the essence of one of the main storylines in the book. And all I can say is it's it's unfortunately very real that this book written what, 25 years ago-ish, and then it was, what would we say, based in 1951, around that time period, how relevant some of the ideas are today. And while I can see it being relevant in the future, that kind of upsets me. So Lata is one of our main protagonists and she is, well, th- uh, let's just start with it. The book is set at a wedding, like the beginning of the book is set at the wedding, not the whole book. It's set at this wedding and we find Mrs. Rupa Mera chatting to Lata, telling her that she will marry a boy of her choosing and it's how do I put it it's what I'd say part of the the culture that marriages in South Asia are not just between two individuals but between two families and to get married to have that sort of dating experience is to to put the family reputation on the line to some degree well that's at least how I interpret it and Lata's story is following the trials and tribulations of her love 
life and finding the suitable bloke. And it's not a spoiler of any sort. One of her suitors is this boy called Kabir. And the whole book lurches forward when her mother finds out about this relationship between her and Kabir. And how Lata's mom thinks that it is totally unsuitable. And how Lata can even consider this boy is a concern for her and her well-being because if she is considering Kabir as a suitable boy then it reflects poorly on the family and so Mrs. Rupa Mera gets Lata ready to go find a a more suitable boy in her opinion and so that story continues. Our secondary protagonist, and depending on your take, what may be the more interesting, it depends on what you think is more interesting, is Man. Now, Man is. He's. How I would put it, a bit of a dipshit. Don't know how nicely to put it. He's he's part of the Kapoor family, and his father, Mr. Mahesh Kapoor, is how do we put it? A politician, and. So his father has this high-ranking job. He's trying to win his seat in the election in this made-up town and province. And Man falls in love with... I guess, how do we put this? A courtesan, I think is a really posh way of calling him. I mean, I'm sure Kieran would be slapping me or telling me off it doesn't matter though because Kieran's not here so I can say whatever I want and it's a story that has well when I say story I'm talking about man's story that we're seeing India from a new light we see man fall in love with this courtesan and how it's totally disapproved by the family and we get to meet local kings who will let's say landlords be really polite and how they interact with Saida Bai and Man travelling to the villages where his father is going to be running this race and trying to win his seat and how he mixes with different communities and it's a f- it's an eye opening into India to an extent I, I mean I don't know how real this was and when I mean real I don't mean 
whether this story is true, it's made up, but the depiction of India or rural India is true, but it's believable, and that's what really provides a great hook. So, I that's the outline of the story. I mean, you can find better reviews online, guys. I'm sure, but you know, I'm just got I'm playing around with the book in my hand. If it's picking up on the mic, I'm sorry. And you know, I, I took this book everywhere with me. It was it hit me in London. I then took it to India. I took it to Dubai. I took it to Malawi in South Africa. And brought back to London. And only then did I finish it. And I like reading. And I think that was the thing I realized that this book was something I enjoyed so much that I kind of didn't want to finish it to a degree. As I mentioned earlier, you don't want the book to end. You don't want the story to end. Yeah. Like, by the time this book finishes, you really want to know what happens next. And we're not going to find out in A Suitable Girl which comes next. Or we hope is coming next. It was meant to come out a few years ago. But I can wait for sure. Now, I guess the only thing I, other thing I would like to mention is, well, before I start reading our parts of the book, is according to online reports and talks to the director, it's going to be the first BBC adaptation that doesn't contain any white characters in the television series. And... As fantastic that is, in terms of representation, in terms of what's going on with everything around the world, it's clearly something in the right step. But this book does have white characters in it, and they aren't the main characters, they are minor characters, but they play a part in very interesting. I say very interesting side stories, but all the side stories I find are fantastic in this. It's it's like every chapter. There's a new character. There's there's a new story being told. That and it doesn't overwhelm your main plot. It just adds. It adds to the world. And. It's, it just delights you as you read. I, I don't know how else to put it. It just delights you. And it is, <laughs> it is no joke that by the time you reach the, f- the end of this book or the last few chapters, that suddenly it just picks up. And yet, it, it's never changed pace. On reflection, and it, it reminds me of this saying. You know, days are long and years are short. And to carry this over to the book, 
the chapters are long but the book is so so short and I really hope you do read it so I'm gonna just pause for a few seconds and just clear my throat out and I'll start reading out for you guys but rather than if you aren't going to listen anymore don't worry um, please do I'll do the like like and subscribe on Instagram Facebook I don't know we're not on Google now or Google plus or whatever the hell it's called if that still exists chinoonshow at gmail.com get in touch and we, I, I have an interesting guest fingers crossed still coming on next week so we'll get back to the regular interviews and hopefully some very interesting things for the future but otherwise I hope everyone's staying safe so to begin with the readings I'm going to just read out the contents so the contents of this book are written out as a poem uh, as rhyming couplets so enjoy browsing through books two students meet one day other mother mopes the metal melts away the courtesan sings cruelly through the heat a hopeful lover buys a parakeet a couple glide down river in a boat mother hears that mischief is afloat two men discuss the brahmin poor leather trade a pair of brogues maroon is planned and made blood soaks a lane and bullets ricochet a legislative vixen baits her prey a baby kicks a bloodshot roger yowls a young man speeds downhill a father growls Kolkata simmers in a stew of chalk a cemetery affords a pleasing walk Beneath the neem the village children play. Warm cattle churn the burning earth to clay. A desperate mother ventures to deploy. Fair means or foul to net a suitable boy. A wolf hunt is arranged at Barter Fort. A cheated marksman looks for further sport. Old landlords sue the state to keep their lands. Crushed corpses rot upon the holy sands. A kiss brings fury. Twelfth night sparks a snub. On even Bridget stokes tumlup at the club. A child is born, wise woman come to look. A cobbler writes, a poet mails his book. A prime minister fights and keeps his head. Sad sons sound the spirits of the dead the flames of Karbala and Lanka blaze igniting madness through the city's maze Kolkata Christmas lights festoon Park Street and at a cricket match three suitors meet someone is stabbed in Brahmanpur someone dies while private shame is viewed by public eyes one person 
five and forty thousand shoes. Some win, some draw, and, as must be, some lose. The curtain falls, the players take their bow, and wander off the stage, at least for now. So, that was just the contents, and now I'll just read the first three sections of the book. Uh, not three sections, first three parts. Yeah. So, here we go. 1.1. You too will marry a boy I choose, says Mrs. Rupert Mera firmly to her young daughter. Latter avoided the maternal imperative by looking around the great lamp-lit garden of Prem Nivas. The wedding guests were gathered on the lawn. Hmm, she said. This annoyed her mother further. I know what your hmms mean, young lady, and I can tell you I will not stand for hmms in this matter. I do know what is best. I am doing it all for you. Do you think it's easy for me, trying to arrange things for all four of my children without his help? Her nose begins to redden at the thought of her husband, who would, she felt certain, be partaking of their present joy from somewhere benevolently above. Mrs. Rupert Mera believed that, of course, in reincarnation, but at moments of exceptional sentiment, she imagined that the late Raghubir Mera still inhabited the form in which she had known him when he was alive, the robust, cheerful form of his early forties before overwork had brought about his heart attack at the height of the Second World War eight years ago. Eight years ago, thought Mrs. Rupert Mera miserably. Now, now, ma'am, you can't cry on Savitha's wedding day, as said Lata, putting her arm gently around, but not very concerned around her mother's shoulder. If he had been here, I would have worn the tissue bottle, sorry, I wore for my own wedding, sighed Mrs. Rupert Mera. But it's too rich for a widow to wear. Ma, said Latter, a little exasperated at the emotional capital mother insisted on making out of every possible circumstance. People are looking at you. They want to congratulate you. And they think it's very odd to see you crying this way. Several guests, indeed, doing the best there to Mrs. Rupert Merritt. And smiling at her, the cream of Brampur society. She was pleased to know. Let me see, said Mrs. Rupamera, defiantly, dabbing at her eyes hastily with a handkerchief, perfumed with the 4711 eau de couleur. They will only think it is because of my happiness at Savita's wedding. Everything I do is for you, and no one appreciates me. I have chosen such a good boy for Savita, and all everyone does is complain. Lata reflected that the four brothers and sisters, the only one who hadn't complained of the match, had been the sweet-tempered, fair, complexioned beauty, Savita herself. He is a little thin, Ma, said Lata, a bit thoughtlessly. This was putting it mildly. Bran Kapoor, soon to be her brother-in-law, was lank, dark, gangly, and asthmatic. Thin. What's his thin? Everyone is trying to become thin these days. Even I had to fast the whole day. And it is not good for my diabetes. 
And if Savita is not complaining, everyone should be happy with him. Arun and Varun are always complaining. Why didn't they choose a boy for their sister then? Brown is good, decent, cultured Katri boy. There was no denying that Brown, at 30, was a good boy, a decent boy, and belonged to the right caste. And indeed, Lata did like Brown. Oddly enough, she knew him better than her sister did, or at least had seen him longer than her sister had. Lata was studying English at Drampur University, and Brown Kampur was a popular lecturer there. Lata had attended his class on Elizabethans, while Savita, the bride, had only met him for only an hour, and that too much in her mother's company. And Savita will fatten her up, added Mrs. Rupamaya. Why are you trying to annoy me when I am so happy? And Brown and Savita will be happy. You will see. Uh, they will be happy, she continued empathetically. Thank you, thank you. She now beamed at those coming up to greet her. It's so wonderful, the boy of my dreams, and such a good family. The Minister Sahib has been very kind to us, and Savita is so happy. Please eat something, please eat. They've made delicious gulab jamuns. But, owing to my diabetes, I cannot eat them even after the ceremony. I am not even allowed gajak which is so difficult to resist in winter. But please eat, please eat. I must go in to check what is happening. The time that the pundits have been given is coming up, and there's no sign of either the bride or groom. She looked at Lotta frowning. Her young daughter was going to prove more difficult than the older, she decided. Don't forget what I told you, she said in admonitory voice. Hmm, said Lotta. My, your handkerchief is sticking out of your blouse. Oh, said Mrs. Rupamira, worried, tucking it in. And tell Aaron to please take his duty seriously. He's just standing there in the corner talking to that Manakshi and his silly friend from Calcutta. You should see that everyone is drinking and eating properly and having a gala time. That Manakshi was Aaron's glamorous wife and her own disrespectful daughter-in-law. In four years of marriage, Minakshi's only worthwhile act in Mrs. Rupa's marriage had been to give birth to her beloved granddaughter, Aparna, who even now had found her way to her grandmother's brown silk sari and was tugging at it for attention. Mrs. Rupa Mara was delighted. She gave her a kiss and told her, Aparna, you must stay with Mummy or Lata Bao, otherwise you'll get lost, and then where would we be? Can't I come with you? asked Aparna, who had, at three, naturally had views and preferences of her own. Sweetheart, I wish you could, said Mrs. Rupa Mary. But I have to make sure that your Savita Bao is ready to be married. She is so late already. And Mrs. Rupa Mary looked once again at the little gold watch that had been her husband's first gift to her, which had not missed a beat for two and a half decades. I want to see Savita Bua, said Aparna, holding her ground. Mrs. Rupa Mera looked a little harassed and nodded vaguely at Aparna. Lata picked up Aparna. Savita Bua comes out. We'll go over there together, shall we? 
Now I'll hold you up like this. I will go and get a good view. Meanwhile, we should see if we can get some ice cream. I feel like some too. Abana approved of this, as most of Lata suggested. It was never too cold for ice cream. They walked towards the buffet table together, three-year-old and nineteen-year-old hand in hand. A few rose petals wafted down on them from somewhere. What's good enough for your sister is good enough for you, said Mrs. Rupamara to Lata as a parting shot. We can't both marry Brown, said Lata. 1.2 The other chief of hosting weddings was the groom's father, Mr. Mahesh Kapoor, who was the Minister of Revenue of the state of Purva Pradesh. In fact, in his huge, large, C-shaped, cream-coloured, two-storey family house, Premnivas, situated in the quietest, greenest residential area of the city, of the ancient and, mo for the most part, overpopulated city of Brahmapur, the wedding was to take place. This was so unusual that the whole Brahmapur had been buzzing for about for days. Mrs. Rupa Mara's father, who was supposed to be the host, had taken sudden umbrage a fortnight before the wedding, locked up his house and disappeared. Mrs. Rupa Mara had been distraught. Up. The minister had stepped in, your honour is our honour, and had insisted on putting on the wedding himself. As for the ensuing gossip, he ignored it. There was no question of Mrs. Rupert Mara helping to pay for the wedding. The minister Sahib would not hear of it, nor had he any any time asked for any dowry. He was an old friend and bridge partner of Mrs. Rupert Mara's father, and had liked what he had seen of her daughter Savita, though he could never remember the girl's name. He was sympathetic to the economic hardship, for he had too tasted it. During the several years that he had spent in British jails, during the struggle for independence, they had no one to run his farm or his cloth business. As a result, very little income had come in, and his wife and family had struggled along with great difficulty. Those unhappy times, however, were only a memory for the able, impatient and powerful minister. It was the early winter of 1950, and India had been free for over three years. But freedom for the country did not mean freedom for his younger son, Mark who, even now, was being told by his father, What is good enough for your brother is good enough for you. Yes, Bauji, said Ma, smiling. Mr. Mahesh Kapoor frowned, his youngest son, while succeeding to his own habit of fine dress, had not succeeded to his obsession with hard work, nor did he appear to have any ambition to speak of. It's no use being good-looking young Mostral forever, said his father, and marriage will force you to settle down and take things seriously. I've written to the Benares people and expect a favourable answer any day. Marriage was the last thing on Mom's mind. He had caught a friend's eye in the crowd and was waving at him. Hundreds of small coloured lights swung through the hedge, came on all at once, and the silk saris and jewellery of the woman's glimmered and glinted even more brightly. The high, reedy, shahani music burst into a pattern of speed and brilliance. Maan was entranced. He had noticed Lata making her way through the guests. Quite an attractive girl, Savita's sister, he thought. Not very tall and not very fair. 
but attractive, with an oval face, a shy light in her dark eyes, an affectionate manner towards the child she was leading by hand. Yes, Baoji, said Mon obediently. What did I say? demanded his father. About marriage, Baoji, said Mon. What about marriage? Mon was nonplussed. Don't you listen, demanded Mahesh Kapoor, wanting to twist Man's ear. You're bad as the clerks in the revenue department. You're not paying attention. You're waving at Faroz. Man looked a little shameful. He knew his father thought of him. But he enjoyed himself until a couple of minutes ago, and it was like Baoji had to come and puncture his light spirits. So that's all fixed up, continued his father. Don't tell me later I didn't warn you. And don't get that weak-willed woman, your mother, to change her mind and come telling you that you aren't ready to take the responsibilities of a man. No, Baoji, said Mom, getting drifted of things and looking a trifle glum. You chose well for Vina, you have chosen well for Bran, and you are not to complain about our choice of a bride for you. Mom, said Malcolm. He was wondering how to repair the pungent. He had a bottle of scotch upstairs in his room, and perhaps he and Feroz could escape a few minutes before the ceremony, or even during it, for refreshment. His father paused to smile brusquely at a few well wishes, and turned to Marn again. I don't want to have to waste any more time with you today. God only knows I have enough to do it as it is. What happened to Pran and that girl? What's her name? It's getting late. We're supposed to come out from the opposite ends of the house and meet us here for the Jamala five minutes ago. Savita prompted Man. Yes, yes, his father said impatiently. Savita, your superstitious mother will stop panicking if they miss the correct configuration of the stars. Go and calm her down. Go, do some good. And Marsh Kapoor went back to his duties as a host. He frowned impatiently at one of the officiating priests smiled weakly back. He narrowly avoided being buttered in the stomach and being knocked over by three children, offspring of his rural relatives, were carrying, careering joyfully around the garden as if it was a field of stubble. And he greeted, before he had walked ten steps, a professor of literature, who could be useful for Brown's career, two influential members of state legislature from the Congress party, who might well agree to back him in his perennial power struggle with the Home Minister, a judge, the very last Englishman to remain at the bench of the Brahmpur High Court after independence, and his old friend, Nawar Sahib of Bertar, one of the largest landowners in the state. 1.3 Latter, who had heard Martin's conversation with his father, could not help smiling to herself as she walked past. I see you're enjoying yourself, said Martin to her in English. His conversation with his father had been in Hindi, hers with her mother in English. Man spoke both well. Lata was struck shy, as she sometimes was with strangers, especially those who smiled as boldly as Man. Let him do the smiling for the both of us, she thought. Yes, she said simply, her eyes resting on his face just for a second. Aparna tugged at her hand. Well, now we're almost family, said Man. Perhaps sensing her awkwardness, a few minutes more, and the ceremonies will start. Yes, agreed Latta, looking again more confidently. She paused and frowned. 
My mother's concerned they won't start on time. So is my father, said Mom. Martha began smiling again. But when Mom asked her why, she shook her head. Well, said Mom, flicking a rose petal off his beautiful, tight, white achgun. You're not laughing at me, are you? I'm not laughing at all, said Lazarus. Smiling, I meant. No, not at you. At myself, said Lata. That's very mysterious, said Mom. His good-natured face melted into an expression of exaggerated perplexity. Perplexity. It will have to remain so, I'm afraid, said Lata, almost laughing now. <laughs> Aparna here wants her ice cream, and I must supply it. Try this pistachio ice cream, suggested Mom. His eyes followed her. Pink's eyes were for a second. Good-looking girl. In a way, he thought again. Pink's the wrong colour for a complexion, though. She should be dressed in a deep green or dark blue, like that woman there. His attention veered to a new object of contemplation. A few seconds later, Lata bumped into her best friend, Malati, a medical student who shared her room at the student hostel. Malati was very outgoing and never lost her tongue with strangers. Strangers, however, blinking into her lovely green eyes, sometimes lost their tongues with her. Who's that cad you were talking to? she asked Lata eagerly. This wasn't as bad as it sounded. A good-looking young man in slang in Brahmanpur University College was a cad. The term derived from Cadbury chocolate. Oh, that's just Mon. He's Brown's younger brother. Really? But he's so good-looking and Brown's so, well, not ugly, but, you know, dark and nothing special. Maybe he's a dark cat, suggested Lata. Bitter, but sustaining. Malati considered this. And, continued Lata, my aunts reminded me five times in the last hour. I'm all, I'm not all that fair either, and will therefore find it impossible to get a suitable husband. How can you put up with them, Lata? asked Malati, who brought up fatherless and brotherless in a circle of very supportive women. Oh, I like most of them, said Lata, but if it wasn't for this sort of speculation, it wouldn't be much of a wedding for them. Once they see the bride and groom together, they'll even have a better time. Beauty and the Beast. Well, he's looked rather beast-like whenever I see him on the university campus, said Malati, like a dark giraffe. Don't be mean, said Lata. <laughs> anyway, Brown's very popular as a lecturer, she continued, and I like him. And you're going to have to come and visit me at his house once I leave the hostel and start living there. And since he'll be my brother-in-law, you'll have to like him too. Promise me you will. I won't, said Malati confirmly. He's taking you away from me. He's doing nothing of the sort, Malati, said Lata. My mother and her fine sense of a household economy is dumping me on him. Well, I don't see why you should bear your mother. Tell her you can't bear to be parted from me. I always obey my mother, said Lata. And besides, who will pay my hostel fees if she doesn't? It will be very nice, 
me to live with Savita for a while. I refuse to lose you. You really must visit us. You must keep visiting. If you don't, I'll know how much you value you put on your friendship. Vladi looked unhappy for a second or two, then recovered. Who's this? She asked. Aprano, who was looking at her in a severe, uncompromising manner. My niece, Aprano, said Vladi. Say hello to Malati Auntie Aprano. Hello, said Aprano, who had reached the end of her patience. Can I have a pistachio ice cream, please? Yes, Kuchuk. Of course. I'm so sorry, said Latte. Come, let's all go together and get some. Thank you.